Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The hymn that we just sang is Martin Luther's baptismal hymn. He encourages and urges us all as Christians to think about and ponder on the catechism. And so he wrote uh, hymns on the various parts of the catechism. The hymn was selected uh, in part because it is the recommendation of our Synod's Commission on Worship. And that hymn is, uh, that hymn is our chief hymn for today's service. If there's uh, a way that you can minister to your pastor during the service is to if there's going to be one hymn to sing boldly, it is to, with all, to, to, to put in the effort into singing the hymn of the day. And so I do thank you for those of you who worked through it and who tried and who uh, maybe even learned this hymn today for the first time. The last time we sung it was uh, two years ago. I always encourage you to always open your hymnal, follow the words, and to the best of your ability to sing along with us. Now, as we consider the baptism of our Lord today, I want to focus on three different things. First, the rite of baptism and its blessings. Then second, the water that is used in baptism. And then third, the significance of Christ's own baptism and its relationship for us as Christians today in the here and now. So baptism itself is a very short and simple rite. Applying water to the one being baptized, the officiant, normally the pastor, says the person's name, and then I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. Yet our baptismal liturgy is four pages long, which is far longer than the actual rite of baptism, which I just quoted to you. Feel free to look at our baptismal liturgy. It's found on page 268 and continues to page 271 in our Lutheran service book. Now, the main reason for the length of the baptismal liturgy is that is how we inherited it. Our fathers before us practice orders like ours in fact, much of what we use in the baptismal liturgy was also used by Martin Luther and by people prior to the Reformation. For the last seven years, we have been observing the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And so you've been hearing me bring up things that happened 500 years ago. And as we begin this new year, I'm going to continue to give you a glimpse into our church's history from 500 years ago, especially uh, for a couple of years leading up to 1524. Remember, we're now in 2024, so 500 years ago is 1524. In 15, from 1521 to 1522, Martin Luther was in the Warburg Castle in hiding because he was considered an outlaw by the Roman Empire. His safekeeping was arranged by the local prince, Elector Frederick the Wise. And so while he was in hiding at the Wartburg Castle, Martin Luther translated the New Testament from the Greek, the original Greek, into the German so that German-speaking Christians can read the Bible in their own language. 
That was a monumental task. Previously, there had been some translations from the Latin, but not going back to the original language, to the original uh, Greek, and, and then into the language of the vernacular. But then Luther, he returned to Wittenberg in order to settle various controversies that had been arising uh, during his absence. And when he was in Wittenberg, he did not end his work of translating. There were two important works that Luther translated 500 years ago in 1523. So this past, these past few months have been the 500th anniversary of these works. First, he translated the divine service. He made a German order for the divine service, translating things from Latin into German. And he omitted those things that are contrary to the word of God, including exhortation to the saints and Mary. Luther introduced some things, though. People often don't realize, but Luther's the one who introduced the chanting of the verba, the words of institution, and he did so so that the people may hear this important blessing of the elements to be used for Holy Communion. Previously, the priests would just speak them and do so very softly so it was out of the ears of the people. And Luther, knowing that the chanting voice in a sanctuary without a PA system, where is this thing, without a microphone, uh, that he knew that the best way to project is through a chanted voice. Luther also added something that Lutherans have retained, and that is the ironic benediction at the end of the service. That's the blessing of Aaron found at the end of Numbers chapter 6. You're familiar with those words, the Lord bless you and keep you, and so on. Luther's German divine service is found in our hymnal, Divine Service 5, beginning on page 213, and we usually follow that on Trinity Sunday and on Reformation Sunday. The second work that Luther had translated, so now we're at the 500th anniversary of it, was an order for baptism. Until that time, it had commonly been performed in Latin, and it included several editions that were contrary to Scripture. Yet Luther was hesitant to make too many changes, so he retained a few portions that we would probably think are rather strange today. They're not commanded or taught in Scripture, so I suppose they're questionable at best. The first is the uh, blowing below the baby's eyes three times before the exorcism which is still, that exorcism is still retained, depart you unclean spirit and give room for the Holy Spirit, but to blow three times below uh, the, the baby's eyes. Also, the pastor, as Luther instructed it, and as he had inherited, put salt in the baby's mouth, saying, receive the salt of wisdom, may it aid you to eternal life. And then Luther instructed a pastor to spit on his finger and touch the right ear of the baby, saying, Ephetha, that is, be opened. And then to touch the nose and the left ear, saying, But you, devil, flee, for God's judgment comes speedily. So those things Luther included in his rite of 1523 and were later omitted. From Luther's order for baptism of 1523, we have retained the custom of the exorcism. Now, it's not printed if you're looking on pages 268 to 271 
You don't see those words, depart you unclean spirit and give room for the Holy Spirit, but they are actually retained in the agenda for Lutheran service book. And so I do say those words when I baptize. Luther added what was called, what became known as Luther's flood prayer. So connecting the salvation of Noah through, through the ark to the salvation of God's people through the water in the ark of, of the church and so on. Luther also retained making the sign of the cross on the baby's forehead and heart, re- renouncing the devil, confessing the Apostles' Creed, and receiving a candle to indicate that the light of Christ has been received. These are all wonderful customs, but the important point and the important part to retain is the actual rite of baptism using water and not changing the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You're familiar with those words. You don't have to really be taught them because after all, you hear those words almost verbatim. You don't hear the word baptize, but the rest of it you pretty much hear at the beginning of the divine service. When I stand at the baptismal font and I speak and place that name of God upon you yet again with that invocation, And so you are drawn back to your baptism at the beginning of the divine service. And when we confess our sins and receive absolution, forgiveness from the pastor as from God himself, that forgiveness, which is pronounced when the pastor is by the baptismal font, it continues to flow forth from you or to you because of your standing before God as a baptized child of God. Even though the actual rite of baptism is rather short, some wondrous things take place. God, through baptism, receives sinners into his family. He adopts them as members of his royal family so that we become children of God. Upon our baptism, Jesus then becomes our brother. And we then enjoy the same standing before God as Jesus himself, as God's only begotten son. So God then treats us, each one of us, as his firstborn to receive the eternal inheritance. In addition, our sins are drowned and die and we arise to newness of life. We are joined to the death and resurrection of Jesus in our baptism And we are clothed by the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ in baptism. We are washed and we are cleansed. We are justified and we are sanctified. We are even killed and made alive, all in this simple act of baptism. Who's doing the action? God is. God is through the voice of the pastor and through the application of the water. It is the work of God as God is saving us. He is regenerating us. He is forgiving us. And he is clothing us in the very righteousness of Jesus. Sadly, there's only one church body that teaches all of what God does, all of these things in baptism, and that is the Lutheran Church. 
It is certainly my desire that all churches would teach what I just said baptism is and does. Most Protestants understand baptism, though, to be a work of the individual in which he commits himself to Christ. And some of the churches which practice infant baptism assert that forgiveness is only granted for the sins that are committed up to the point of baptism and that it is up to the individual to make amends for his sins after that through various merits. Because of this, we must, retain, we, we must remain steadfast, committing ourselves only to the truth of God's word and always being ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Some denominations insist that we Lutherans apply water wrongly or that we use the wrong water. Some think that the Greek word baptizo, where we get the word baptize, means to immerse, and therefore the only valid baptism in their minds is by immersion. But Mark chapter 7 verse 4 reports that the Pharisees washed, and in the Greek, the Greek word is baptizo. What did they wash before they would use them for eating? They would wash various vessels. They would wash dishes. And they would wash the couches that they sat on before they dined. That's why it is translated as wash. Because there's no way to immerse couches before they are used at each meal. That was not the point. It was a ritual cleansing, a washing that was done. The word baptizo or baptize does not mean merely immersion, although it can. It also means a washing. So we are not bound to those who insist that the only valid baptism is by immersion. The point is to use water and the proper word of God. Other churches insist on using some sort of holy water, but that is also not found in our Lord's command. What water did John the Baptist use? Was he able to stop the water of the Jordan River, bless a certain portion of that water, like happened, I mean, there wasn't a blessing of the water, but the water was stopped in Joshua's day. Would he then use the specific amount of water? No. Instead, John used the flowing water of the Jordan River when people came to him to be baptized. What water was used to baptize one person was not used for the next person because that water was long gone. It was simply water flowing in a river. And, and, and so the water we use is simply water. We don't even bless it beforehand. There's no rite for it. There's no ritual that commands it. There's nothing in the Bible that says that we need to use some sort of blessed water. And so an elder before the service simply takes warm tap water and puts it in the baptismal font, and that is the water that is used for baptism. Because the point, again, is the water and the word. There's an interesting connection between the Jordan and the giving of life. John the Baptist baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. Ironically, the Jordan River flows into what we call the Dead Sea. We heard it in our reading from Joshua as the Salt Sea. 
It, it is called the Dead Sea because plants and fish do not live in that saltiest body of water on the face of the earth. However, algae and other microorganisms do live in that sea. The Jordan is first mentioned when Abraham and Lot's flocks were getting too large and that they must part company. They must go in separate directions in order to sustain all the animals and have enough grazing land for them. Lot chooses the fertile land in the Jordan Valley. And in the same way, baptism brings a lavish bestowal of God's grace. The Jordan served as a geographical boundary, and God stopped the river's flow as Joshua and the people of Israel crossed over into the promised land. And in the same way, baptism now brings us into the promised land of, God, of Christ's own kingdom. The prophet Elijah told Naaman, to, that is the, the Syrian, the commander of the Syrian army, to dip into the Jordan River to be cleansed of his leprosy, and the Lord cleanses us of the leprosy of sin through our baptism. When Jesus came to jo the Jordan to have John the Baptist baptize him, John initially objected, saying, I need to be baptized by you, Jesus, and are you coming to me? But Jesus said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. John knew that Jesus is perfect and that Jesus did not need baptism to be cleansed of his sin. But he didn't realize how God would work his plan of salvation when Jesus would be baptized. For in the baptism of Jesus, he is anointed as the anointed one. Jesus is marked and shown, proven to be the chosen one, the very Messiah who is promised to come, the Christ. He takes on our sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. As it is written, for our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. The wonderful working of God in our Lord's baptism is also demonstrated by the heavens being opened and the Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove. And then, on top of that, God the Father speaks, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Just as the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is placed upon you in your baptism, so also we can see all three persons of the Tr Holy Trinity present and at work in the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just as God was at work in our Lord's baptism, so also that same God is at work when sinners are baptized into Christ today. In the baptism of our Lord, the heavens were opened, and in the same way, heaven is opened to when you are covered with the very righteousness of Christ in your baptism. Just as the Father was well pleased with Jesus, so also because you are clothed in Christ in your baptism, he is now well pleased with you. You have the same standing as Christ himself does by virtue of your baptism. What blessings you have in baptism.
And these blessings are not some sort of past tense thing that only happened at the time of your baptism. You see, it is inaccurate to say that you were baptized. Instead, your baptism declares who you are. It gives you a new identity, even in the here and in the now. We don't say, I was naturalized when speaking of our current status as an American citizen. Instead, we say, I am a citizen. And in the same way, we talk about being, being baptized as a present tense thing, for that is our current standing. So we don't say, I was baptized, but we say, I am baptized. I think there's a temptation to think of baptism as merely some sort of church rite that has little to do with real life. But that cannot be further from the truth. You see, real life is the life that God intends. It's not some sort of separate life, some sort of secular life apart from God. But real life is first and foremost a life with God as members of his family. It then extends into having our own families, our jobs, and various vocations by which God places neighbors in our lives for us to serve. But it begins with being a citizen of God's kingdom by virtue of our baptism. The real life involves participation in the divine service, involves daily prayer, involves family devotions and charity. And this life begins with baptism and continues until our bodies are laid to rest and our souls go to be with our Lord in paradise. In fact, that real life continues even further, for we know as Jesus has promised, he will return on the last day and he will raise our bodies from the dead so that we will have perfect and immortal, glorious bodies and we will live with the Lord in all perfection for all time, giving our praises to God. That is the life that we will enjoy when we are with the Lord in paradise upon the recreation of the heavens and the earth. And that, my friends, is a real life that you can even have now. Maybe not perfection, but at least you can enjoy being in the grace of God and with his family, all granted to you by your baptism. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen.